This is the History Tavern Podcast. Citizens of 19th century cities had many dangers to contend with, but fire was perhaps the most feared of all. They could spring up seemingly out of nowhere, spread rapidly, and could quickly level entire blocks, and even in some cases, entire cities. On August 17, 1848, a large fire broke out in downtown Albany. By the end of the day, the fire had destroyed nearly 600 buildings in Albany's business district near the Hudson River and killed several people. Further destruction was only avoided because of rain and a shift in the wind. In this episode of the History Tavern Podcast, hosted by me, Nick Tony, City of Albany historian Anthony Opalka, talked about the 1848 fire and the history of the Albany Fire Department. We recorded from the newly founded Albany Firefighters Museum on Broadway, and our interview picks up with Anthony talking about Albany's founding and the threat fires pose to cities around the world. Um, and, you know, if we want to even go back before the 19th century into the 17th, when Albany was just getting started, when the, the English took over from the Dutch in 1664 and changed um, Beverwick to Albany, two years later was the Great Fire of London, which wiped out a huge portion of the city. So, and, you know, as we were talking earlier about the um, fireman's own book, you know, how many fires worldwide did that book talk about? It was a constant threat. I think they've even... I'm not sure if it was in that book, but even in ancient civilizations, there was the threat of fire. And when, in in the case of Albany, where the very earliest period of European settlement, it wasn't known about Albany clay, so everything was made of wood, um, and roofs were thatched, so of course it would, and, and of course, with a stockaded enclosure, everything was really tight. So when a building caught on fire, there was a very good chance that it would spread to the buildings on either side of it. So the Dutch instituted a, uh, um, a um, system of what were called Brandmeestern in Dutch, which just means fire masters, or in later, um, when, they were in, when the minutes were in English, they called them fire masters or inspectors of chimneys. And there were three wards in Albany, and two firemasters for each ward, and every two weeks they would inspect hearths and chimneys and storage of flammable materials like hay or, and whatever. And if your chimney was dirty or your storage was um, inappropriate, too close to potential fire, you were told to clean it up, and within, I, it seems like maybe a couple of days, you, they would come back, and if the um, situation was not to their satisfaction, you would be fined. And, um, and this was something that lasted from the Dutch period into the early 19th century. They were still inspecting chimneys um, as, early, or as late as the 18-teens and 20s. Um, of course, fire protection at this time, or firefighting, I should say, was um, bucket brigades. So um, the you know everybody was enlisted. You had to have um, a bucket near each hearth, and depending on the size of your building, and commercial buildings were required as well to have buckets. And the Albany Institute has um, a few from the um, late 18th century. You know they were leather, and I think they held about a gallon of water. 
and the whole community was expected to show up, and even children were running the empty buckets back to the water source, and they would be passed along and thrown randomly on the fire. Um, one of the things that happened in Albany that's very interesting is they got their first water spout or fire engine in 1732, which was only a year or, or within a year of New York City. They were importing one from London where um, this water spout had been um, invented. So what happened at that time was, of course, they needed a place to store it. So um, there was a shed built somewhere around Beaver Street and South Pearl Street. And so this is 1732, 1740, 1760, 1790. In the council minutes, there are fire tr- or fires, fire engines, water spouts, whatever, being purchased by the city. And what they had was a reservoir, and it would be, you know, the, the engine would be dragged to the fire. The reservoir would be filled with buckets, and there was a hose, you know, which was what we would think of as a garden hose today, but it was a much more directed um, water source. And at the end of the 18th century, it seems that they began to form fire companies. So um, in the, probably about 1790 or so, um, the, fire com- the volunteer fire companies were formed and um, they existed from, let's say, that time. There, there's even something as early as 1763 when they named 31 men to be firemen, which were different from the firemasters. Right, right. Um, and they, they were apparently organized into some sort of companies. And, but by 1790, the companies are numbered, and um, they last, as I said, into the late 19 or the second half of the 19th century can you talk sort of generally about albany um obviously you just touched on the dutch uh, which are huge here they they settle albany right in the in the 1600s what did albany look like by the time of the 1848 fire well it was the second largest city in the state um and it was a major commercial port And don't forget, too, the Erie Canal opened in 1825, and it was so successful that it was enlarged 10 years later, and Albany was the eastern end of it. So it was a major transshipment point, and, you know, as everybody that knows the history of the Erie Canal, um, you know, it really opened up the center of the country, um, you know, the upper Midwest and so on. And all of that commerce came through Albany. And so it was a bustling city, I think. I don't have the population statistics off the top of my head, but I think it was about 50,000 people by 1848. And um, the riverfront was filled with boats, and there was also a big basin constructed to handle all the traffic you know, because the river boats and the canal boats were different, so Albany became a transshipment point. So it was a thriving commercial port with, um, you know, commerce essentially along the river from almost the southern end of the city, which was not quite where it is. It wasn't the Norman scale at the time, but maybe a mile or so north of it, 
all the way up to um, almost, well, essentially where the canal emptied into the river, which was near the um, I-90 crossing now. Right. So what is that? More than a mile along the river, um, filled just filled with buildings and ships and industries, commerce, and you know residential areas and so right, right, you know, right. It was a pretty important place. What do we know about how the 1848 fire began? Well, Chicago has Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Right. We have the washerwoman at the Albion Hotel. You know. That's what was in the paper, you know. Um, Her bonnet or something caught fire. Yeah, her bonnet caught fire, and she was frantic and ran out and couldn't even speak. And, you know, but by that time, the fire moved very quickly. And the newspaper um, articles talk about, you know, almost like block by block, you know, then it hit this street and then it crossed that street. And so it moved very quickly. And, um, you know, with the density of settlement there, you know, the buildings were all, you know, pretty much the way we look at some of the parts of downtown now where it's, you know, row build, commercial row buildings, three and four stories. Um, the, com- the most important buildings were, of course, constructed of brick. And um, this was the commercial center along Broadway from presumably the Albion Hotel, which was a few blocks south, a couple blocks south of Madison Avenue. And that intersection, of course, doesn't exist today. It's probably about where the Madison Avenue exit of 787 is. And um, so all along Broadway were commercial buildings for the most part. And then behind Broadway were some large-scale industrial buildings and then smaller smaller industries as well as... um, residential buildings the farther you got from the river and of course at the time there wasn't the kind of separation of land use that we have today where the industrial buildings are here and the commercial buildings are there and the residential buildings are somewhere else everything was mixed in you know which is very typical of really almost well pre-transit development let's say where everything was walking distance you walk to your job you um, walk to shop, you walk to everything. And again, all huddled along the river. Um, you know, in 1848, um, Lark Street would have been way uptown. Yeah, it's right, right. There's mad, not much beyond Lark Street. Not right? much, yeah, no. Right. Only the turnpikes of Western and Central um, would have had, you know, much activity beyond Lark Street. And right. even, even as far as, you know, the the um, police precincts and so on, you know, they talk about the area west of Dove Street as being kind of like (laughs) the the western end of the city. (laughs) In fact, I think in the 1830s, there's a reference to um, Grand Street being the western end of the city, and that's even, you know, what, half a mile or more east of Dove Street. Right, right. So we're talking a very closely packed area of, of town. So it's it's August seventeenth, and that that's this podcast will be released on August seventeenth, twenty twenty. So it's an anniversary. I forget the amount of years. So eighteen forty eight. It's one hundred seventy two. One hundred seventy two, <laughs> uh, because you were supposed to give it a, a, a tour a couple of times that right. was uh, extinguished by rain. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so August seventeenth, eighteen 
1848. Um, what time of day? Um, supposedly about noon um, is when this fire broke out, but they were actually fighting a fire um, up in the Quackenbush area earlier in the day. So, And in fact, I don't even think all the companies had gone back to their houses when all of a sudden this was um, this broke out. And this was a funny year, I mean, as far as fires. There, were, there seemed to be you know, many, many fires. You know, we're not used to that many fires, but with the kind of um, combustible materials, um, the what we would think of now as primitive firefighting, um, fires happened all the time. And in 1848, you know, in April, there was a fire not far from the Albion Hotel where 30 buildings were destroyed um, around Westerlo Street, which is just a couple blocks south of Herkimer. Um, in March, there was um, a fire where 20 buildings were destroyed, right in this area, east of Broadway. Um, in January, there was a residential fire. You know, So those are just, in fact, some of the um, earlier fires in, included um, deaths as well. So this was a this was a very typical thing. Yeah, right, right. Nineteenth um, century fi- fires that we sort of know these days seem to be fairly contained because fire companies can put them right. out very yeah. quickly, or at least contain them. Uh, not so much the case. Yeah, no, and and it was much easier for them to get out of control. Yeah, um, you know, I think that probably one of the biggest fires of the twentieth century was on uh, Madison Avenue in Pine Hills. In the 1960s, where you know two thirds of one block were destroyed, um, that would probably be, you know, and that that was pretty notable because it was such a large fire that covered such a large, you know, relatively large area. But we're talking here um, on an extent that's probably half a mile along the river and three or four blocks to the west, which involved, you know, I think in the early reporting, they said somewhere at least 400 buildings. I think in actuality it was probably closer to 600. Not to mention all the the ships in the port, the buildings on the pier, um, and, um, you know, so it was huge in extent. What's the response like? Uh, Obviously, you you mentioned there there are local companies that were out fighting a fire already, probably returning, but there are neighboring Mm -hmm. fire companies responding, right? you know, I think I'm, I'm positive that every company in Albany was called in. And right. one company engine, um, the Daniel D. Tompkins engine number eight, actually lost their house. Um, mm. The house was destroyed by the fire. They were on Broadway a little bit south of where we are right now. Um, they had uh, companies from West Troy, which is now Waterfleet. Waterfleet Arsenal, which had its own fire company, um, Troy, Schenectady, and the, um, you know, and we also have to, not only is firefighting primitive, but communication is primitive, so I guess this was all telegraphed to those um, other other cities. Cohoes um, left, the Cohoes Fire Department left Cohoes at 9 p.m., and they got here at one o'clock in the morning because they had to hand drag their equipment. And there was an outbreak, a small outbreak, um, you know, after everything had, you know, calmed down. But Cohoes lended their assistance as well. 
So, you know, those are, you know, what we would now call mutual aid. But, um, you know, imagine, you know, taking four hours to get to Albany from Cohoes when most of the fire had already died down by 9 p.m. Right, when they right, left, right. but it flared up again at 1 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So, um, what, so what is, so there's a huge response, neighboring neighboring companies. I've, oh, I, what I sure. forgot, too, is Greenbush. Right, right. Which, of course, was yeah. Rensselaer mm-hmm. today. Um, so what do you do to fight it, fight a fire? I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, but it's not just throwing water on a fire. I mean, and it's not just these companies that are trying to, stop the spread of the fire but what what do you, what would we if the if we were there, what what would we be doing to stop well, this fire well if we were if we were residents we'd be running for our literally running for our lives right right um firefighting you know the there were cisterns and reservoirs and the river obviously which provided the water and i've seen a lot of references in the council minutes to suction engines so there was some kind of system, and I've seen this actually demonstrated. There's a YouTube video using actual 19th century um, pumpers where they have like a sort of almost like an above ground swimming pool set up in a street, and they put the suction hose into that, and then the men are pumping the engine, which is sucking the water out of the reservoir into the hose. That's pretty much what they did. Mm. And the um, amount of manpower that this needed, um, you know, a few, you know, almost 20 years later, the um, Albany chief engineer, which is, you know, what we would now call the fire chief, talked about having 800 volunteer firemen in Albany. I think at the time, this was probably about 400, maybe 500 men. Um, So, and the um, strenuousness of, the pumpers meant that they would only be able to to be there for like 10 to 15 minutes at a time. Then they would have to break and be relieved by another set of men. So no wonder they needed four, 400 to 800 firemen to, right, right, uh, you know, right. to pump these um, um, engines. And, you know, that was as good as it got. And I think that the story that you, you know, referenced earlier about the rain is really, you know, that's as, as, much as the firemen can do, if the wind hadn't shifted and the rain hadn't started, the destruction, you know, all the, the newspaper articles actually talk about the destruction would have been much greater. Right, right. Um, you know, so it was kind of funny. In the case of the tour that we planned two years ago, it was rained out in the same way that the fire was rained out. Right. And even the tour we did last year was rained out again. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> there must be something about August and fires and rain, which were um, providential for Albany. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, you know, it seems like, especially in this case, it was really Mother Nature and the wind that gave this fire this sort of destructive nature that it did. In the beginning. In the yep. beginning. I mean, can you just talk briefly about what... I mean, again, it seems obvious, but what wind can really do to spread a fire? Well, you know, the buildings might have been constructed of brick, but they certainly didn't have um, fireproof roofs. So I think a lot of the spread would have been um, from roof to roof. And then once the roof starts and then the contents are exposed, because they talked about, you know, these were commercial buildings. 
So they, and even the residential buildings, they would have, you know, furniture or books or papers or whatever. And all of the, um, the goods and grain, flour and whatever, which were also very flammable. So there was a lot of flammable materials in the buildings, but also the contents, um, you know, in the, I should say the building materials, but also the contents of the buildings, you know. So I think that would have been, um, one way that it would have spread. And it, and it, the wind is responsible f- for the fire jumping from the pier to the basin, which right. is separated by water. Right. But that's sort of right. the power of yeah. wind. And there were bridges, too. There were, right. You know, okay. Cons- uh, the the um, pier was connected to the mainland by bridges, which also became um, fire traps for the people who were working on the pier who were reputedly, you know, jumping into the boats right. and getting away as quickly as they could. And those scenes Jumping into dramatic. the river. Yeah, right. Jumping <laughs> into the river and throwing their valuables into boats and, and then just boats, sort of yeah. hastily sending them yeah. out. And, you know, one of the things I think is kind of interesting, too, is like people emptying the contents of their houses onto the street, you know, to get them out of the way of the fire, which, of course, with a fire like this was virtually impossible. Right, right. You know, because even if their contents were out on the street, the fire was eventually going to get it right right you know? what were what was what were some of the dangers say if you're not even in the immediate sort of area of the fire say you're a half mile away uh, there's stories of ember i mean yeah. you know what, i mean one of, well the the map you know the 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 newspaper published a map of what they called the burnt district. i'll include that in the podcast um, so everybody yeah, can and look that that shows the extent of it but there's also a little piece that's separated from the rest of the map because the Columbia Street Market um, was the victim of you know, floating embers right. that dropped down and caught its roof on fire, and that was destroyed. And that's, you know, what, say, four, four blocks or so. I mean, we're, we are literally at the north end of the fire, at the corner of Hudson and Broadway. But Columbia Street is three or four blocks to the north, completely separated from the fire, but destroyed as well. So, um, you know, and people, as as we talked earlier, people were out on the roofs, you know, making sure that embers didn't land, or if they did, they were put out as quickly as possible because, you know, the Columbia Street Market was a victim of those very embers. Right, you know, and right. other buildings could have been, um, you know, as well. And, you know, the descriptions of what um, the city looked like People were, you know, like State Street was filled with people and wagons filled with household goods and all the way up to City Hall and beyond because everybody was trying to get away from the fire. And, I, you know, it's something that, you know, I mean, maybe it was comparable to the London fire of 200 years earlier, you know, where the, it seemed like the whole city was, was under siege right, right. by this and nobody knew where it was going to go. Yes. You know, yeah. the little, you know, the little hotel, you know, like it might have been contained, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, half of downtown is destroyed within five hours. What was insurance like back then? Well, they definitely had it because the remarkable thing about the newspaper coverage is that within a day or two of the fire, they had... Um, a list of the buildings that were burned, the occupants, including businesses as well as residences, and um, 
the um, stuff that like the the value of the goods and the insurance um, that was covered. You know, they might have like three thousand dollars worth of goods in the right. in the in the store, but only two thousand was covered. And one of the um, uh, references in the article was that the um, insurance companies were devastated. Yeah, right, um, right. By the amount of damage that they had to cover. Um, so it's it's incredible. I mean, they do uh, sort of down to the dollar how much. I wonder if maybe there's an effort there to make sure we're insured for this much. You you know we're going to put it in the newspaper and make sure you guys are accountable <laughs> right, that for could be. right. Yeah. Um, you know. What so uh, you know in in reading through some of the newspaper articles and we'll get to sort of how this and it seems like in every city there's a big fire that finally sort of makes people consider how we're going to be sort of more effective in fighting mm-hmm. fires. But can you talk about the reputation firefighters had uh, back then? You know, there's an, there's an incident a couple days later where there's a couple companies of firefighters that end up fighting each other. Yeah. And somebody is shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of, yes. there's a false alarm, but they're going to sort of, they both arrive and there's a yeah. fight. So they, yeah. firefighters don't have a good rep- reputation. Well, you know, it's interesting to read the council minutes. Um because the at, at some point, and I can't pinpoint the exact date, but the chief engineers report to the council about the fires and they, about the fire department, and they say, you know, the fire department is in excellent condition. the The men are all, you know, loving each other and getting along well, and you know, esprit de corps and all that stuff about fighting fires. But then. As you mentioned, you know, at State and Pearl, there's a there's a, a battle that ends up in um, someone getting killed by gunshot. Um, there are other stories that show up about, um, you know, other companies. You know, apparently there were rival companies. You know, I, I haven't seen the entire movie, but I did see the Gangs of New York mm-hmm. firefighting scene. Mm-hmm. And there's even a quote in um, the Albany Council minutes where... You know, on one of those reports where maybe everything isn't wonderful, where the chief says they're more, the men are more interested in fighting each other than they are in fighting fires. So it kind of goes up and down. Um, they, they're, sometimes the chief is very complimentary to the fire department and they talk about the fire department as being the most important, um, uh, function of the government because it protects the city property and citizens from, you know, the ravages of fire or the ravages of the, um, I don't know, the ravaging element or something like that, where they they have different words to describe fire. Um, So it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, there are, there you know, 20, almost 20 years later, the department gets reorganized, and part of it is to eliminate the rivalries um, between the companies. Right, right. So it's... You know, like I said, it's a mixed bag. It's, I mean, just just the quote from the article from the Albany Evening Journal a few days after the fire, the riot that we're talking about, mm-hmm. the you know, firemen are, ref- are referred to as a class of scoundrel mm-hmm. uh, that should be dealt with. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's just very interesting. And there's slingshots. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Well, uh, it, yeah. There's there's there pistols, are pistols, clubs. Of, yeah, they're really interesting um, stories about. Um, you know, and I think they really have to do with, you know, I don't know whether, you know, ethnic rivalry would be one thing to look at. You know, it's a study that, you know, I'm sure 
you know, sociologists have looked at before, but I think that, you know, here we have it in Albany, too, where companies that are nearby each other get into pitched battles. Sure. You know, one, somebody, there's a fire in 1849 where somebody um, shoots a slingshot at somebody in another company, and a battle is, you know, ensues, and then um, one company goes home, and then they come back with paving blocks, and a riot ensues. Mm. So mm. you know, there there are stories that are very comparable to any um, history of any fire sure. department. Sure. That you know, here in Albany was pretty much the same idea. So uh, what what um, what happens after the fire of eighteen forty eight? There is an effort, and it's, it's successful at least initially, and in sort of creating an organization or, or sort of putting the fire department now under the city. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Well, they're, they're, the, the fire department was always under the city. It's, it's kind of, you know, I don't know the um, history of, let's say, Philadelphia, where they had different companies and you had the plaque on your building if you were covered by this insurance company right. and fire company. I've never seen any evidence of that in Albany. But a couple of interesting things happened. There's actually a um, petition to the council in early 1848 of people, property owners, lobbying against expanding the fire limits, which I think is really ironic. They're definitely like the, you know, the fire prevention goes back as far as the Dutch, you know, where they start to do things like banning thatched roofs, for example, and... Um, in the early 19th century, you see um, the institution of what were called the fire limits, where you couldn't build a wooden building within a certain, what was called the congested area right, right. of the city. So one article, nothing east of Lark. East is of Lark Street is something that comes out of this 1848 okay. fire. Okay, okay. But there are, there are, store, or there are um, passages in the council minutes where they're constantly expanding the fire limits. But I thought it was quite ironic that, you know, I didn't do a, a, um, a study of who these property owners were, but I think some of them would have been right here that in August would have been destroyed by um, fire. They were saying, you know, we don't want to expand the fire limits, which I'm not sure I understand why anybody would have been against that. <laughs> right, because right. obviously this was not the first fire to destroy a large section of Albany. Um, another thing that happened was the reorganization of the department in 1848, where there was more control and possibly, it, it's very unclear as far as, like I haven't uncovered all of the nuances of this, but it's reputed that there was a paid fire department for a few years after the 1848 fire. And, but there were, it seems like between then and reorganization in 1867, there was sort of a hybrid where there were volunteer companies, but there were also men who were paid. And I think the jury is still out on that. You know, I think that requires somebody to really study what's happening in the Common Council minutes because the volunteer companies still existed up until 1867. Um, and at the time of this fire, in 1848, there were 13 companies that had names and numbers, 
and they were differentiated into engine companies and hose companies and hook and ladder and axe companies, and they all functioned. They all did different things at fires. But in 1867, the reorganization went from 18 by then to six, or, or eight, I should say, because there were two hook and ladders and, eight, and six engine companies. So there are changes that take place, definitely. Um, and some of those battles we talked about are actually after 1848. So that kind of rivalry continued well after this fire. But the um, mention you, you said of Lark Street, you know, years ago, before I knew anything about it um, and was doing building research, was any time you found a wooden building east of Lark Street, it had to predate 1850. Um, <laughs> wow. Because of this expansion of the fire limits. Wow. Um, you know, and they, they expanded outward, obviously, because downtown was the most congested. And then they kept, you know, as, as row buildings kept being built, some of which were wood and right next to each other, then they said, you know, no more wooden buildings within those limits. How many people, we talked about the destruction in property somewhere near 600 buildings. Mm -hmm. how, many, how many people were killed? Do we know? I've heard different things or I've read different things in the paper. You know, it's probably under 15, I would say. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether there was an exact, you know, like the, the first um, reports were, you know, an elderly man and a young boy or something like that. And right, right. They started to expand a little bit into more people. I don't know. We never heard of what happened to the washerwoman. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> whether she ran as quickly She's as nameless she could. And, you know, yeah, and, lost to, and, to history. Uh, whether she escaped or Right, what, right. Maybe, you know. maybe it was good that they didn't have her name in, right. in, in, in the paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, so somewhere around 10 to 15 people, which mm -hmm. compared to some of the other big urban fires of the 19th century, right. I, Chicago, 300 people, I wow. think, is, is yeah. the number. You know, mm -hmm. so... Um, Talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, it's uh, the it's a uh, Albany has other big fires. As you, you mm -hmm. mentioned, one uh, on yeah. Madison. Yeah. Um, there's one in 1793 that's pretty big. I mm -hmm. think on Pearl Street, which is interesting because it involves uh, a few slaves who end yeah. up getting yeah. the rap for it that was, one. It was actually it didn't go to Pearl Street. It was up to James Street, Broadway to James Street, and State to Maiden Lane. Okay, and the entire block was wiped out, and that was considered Albany's first big fire. Um, and there, you know, there's, it's a, it's another whole story as far as, um, you know, whether they pinned it on some slaves, you know, an easy scapegoat. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did get, um, they did get a trial, um, which I think was interesting. Um, but of course they were convicted and then there was the, you know, the public hanging and all of that, um, which was a, a big spectacle. Right. Um, Pinkster Hill, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, but there was another big one that doesn't get as much, um, it isn't as well known, but it was in 1797, and that was up in the area where um, the um, DEC building is on Broadway between um, Columbia and Orange. And the most famous name connected with that is Abraham Tenbroke, where his business and residence um, was uh, were both destroyed. 
And I know when they were building the DEC building, they um, did an archaeological dig there, and they actually found um, pottery, um, you know, fine china, I believe it was, that was thought to be, you know, Tembroke's business. And if you think about the date, that's when he decided to move to the country, um, and that's when the Tembroke Mansion was built. Ah. Um, so, you know, it was 1797, 98. Um, to get away from the congestion of the city, and he had a country seat, which, of course, you know, we would think of as that was the country, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it, it was it was far enough out of the congested area of, of Albany that it was a country right. seat. Right. So, and um, there were others, you know, 18, I think there was one in 1820. Um, you know, I'm looking right now here at the 1924 History of the Albany Fire Department, which has a chronology in it that includes some of the big fires. So, you know, they were every few years. Obviously, nothing as big as um, 1848, 1793, and 1797. And, you know, if there was one, you know, in April of 1848 that was 30 buildings, that would probably have been considered one of the big ones, too. Probably the most famous one is the Capitol, right? I mean, Right. The Capitol was much later, 1911. 1911. So firefighting was completely different at the time. There were, I don't know how many companies had um, what were called, you know, mechanized by then, you know, gasoline-powered fire trucks, you know, no more um, horse-drawn steamers. But um, 1911, yeah, so... Yeah, there were the beginnings of um, mechanized trucks at right, that time, right. but okay. you know, not the, the whole department wasn't mechanized until right. like, ten years later. Right, right. We're recording from the Albany Firefighters Museum, mm-hmm. which is three eighty four Broadway, right across from yep. the SUNY Administration Building, yep. uh, right in the middle of what would have been the Burn District, uh, or right on the right edges the of edge it. of it. Yep. Yeah, okay. In uh, fact, yeah, tell us about the museum. Yeah. Um, well, the museum was formed. Um, in um, 2015, um, by a group of um, retired and active firefighters, including Bill Tobler, who is you just the man heard in from, the background. From the distance, yeah. um, he's a 40-year veteran of the Albany Fire Department, and um, it was um, a group of people who thought that the history of the Albany Fire Department was something that was worth talking about and showing off. And I didn't get uh, involved for, actually, I think it was 2014 rather than 2015. And I didn't get involved until um, early in 2015 when um, an active duty fireman named Tim Blaney called me because he was um, undertaking a documentary history of the department. And um, I'm listed in the city's website as the city historian. And he he called me and, you know, it was a cold call and said, you know, I'm doing this documentary. Um, can you help me with, with some of the history? And um, I guess I just dove into it uh, lock, stock, and barrel. And um, really, what, what, and, you know, we, we have a lot. Of, I mean, we have all, essentially 400 years of um, history of fire protection here, um, you know, with the earliest probably you know, 1624 with the founding of Fort Orange because obviously the Dutch had to be um, conscious of fire protection as we talked about earlier. And um, there's a, you know, like even if you go into, 
you know, more well-known stuff of the middle of the 17th century, you know, where they start talking about, you know, fire protection with the fire masters and so on. So the museum um, existed on paper um, until, um, officially until December of 2019 when an actual space opened at 384 Broadway. And um, we're in the process now of developing exhibits. And um, we had hours before um, COVID-19 hit. Right, right. Um, and we were getting, um, you know, we're, we're trying to form, uh, to establish a collection and uh, work on different um, projects to show off the history. There was a, in 2017, there was a, um, uh, a gala event to mark the 150th anniversary of the paid department. And in relation to that, we started developing um, historical panels that were talking about different topics. And some of those are, are displayed here, along with um, other exhibits that we're developing. I'm, I'm so, looking at the rear end of a fiberglass horse <laughs> that you told me a, an interesting story about earlier. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is a horse that is meant to represent an early 19th century horse that you know, existed, a real white horse who um, was stationed at Engine 5 in the South End and um, was described in a 1911 newspaper article as one of the finest in the service. <laughs> and he had a buddy who was a cat named Boxer, and there's a story of the two of them. Um, you know, the, the fire department, interestingly, in doing research, um, fire department was really kind of a major city institution, you know, where the newspapers, they even publicized when men were going on vacation. <laughs> and um, they did a series of articles in 1911, like kind of a Sunday magazine series with different firehouses covered and how they were neighborhood landmarks and the men were all known to the neighborhood residents and the neighborhood children. And, um, you know, that happened, you know, all through, like, even into, you know, close to the present where the way the houses were in, right, integrated right into the neighborhoods where they were right on the street and the, the, the men knew the neighbors and the neighbors knew the men. And, you know, the benches that you see in front of the firehouses were, were places where neighborhood people would gather um, and hang out with the men and the kids would, you know, come and, you know, look at the fire trucks, which, of course, kids still do. So um, the, the purpose of the museum is really to highlight that history and hopefully find, you know, people, people that were connected with the fire department and in a place, well, I, I, I shouldn't say in a place like Albany. I think in general there are so many families that have, you know, long-term members of the fire department, and they have collections of things from their ancestors or their current people, you know, where they feel like, well, you know, this is something that we think is important, but we don't necessarily need to have it around the house. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will um, help us build a collection. Yeah, right, right. Um, what, what's this, the story of the, uh, there's a piece that's in Schoharie County, right? And that was, yeah. that was, that belonged to Albany. Yeah, it was actually, um, it, it's interesting where the, the city was buying pumpers 
as late as the early 1860s mm-hmm. when steam horse-drawn steam-powered fire engines were coming into vogue and you know they were they required a lot fewer men um they were much more efficient they could um pump water for hours in fact um there's a story in one of the newspapers about um a steamer that pumped for 10 hours straight um in battling a fire but they were buying um pumpers as late as the as the mid 1860s and as i mentioned earlier the companies had both numbers and names and they were things like mountaineer and niagara and neptune and you know kind of cool names and they dropped all that um in 1867 when they just became known as steamer 1 steamer 2 but um one of the engine companies was ne- or was um niagara engine company number 6 and they um the the council minutes are filled with um petitions from the the companies for new equipment and i think it was as early as 1863 where niagara 6 um, petitioned the council for a new steamer or i mean i'm sorry a new pumper and um they finally bought one in 1865 or 64 65 and used it for only a few years um, because it was the companies were all reorganized and all of the pumpers were um, considered antiquated and sold off because the the fire department bought steamers um, as soon as the reorganization was completed. But this Niagara 6 was sold in 1868 to the Schoharie Village Fire Department, which at the time had only Schoharie Number 1 and Schoharie Number 2, but they renamed their fire department, Niagara 6, <laughs> after this um, pumper and maintained it until, and, and used it until 1907. Wow. <laughs> and um, so that at the time, I'm not sure what the whole history, I don't have uh, all of the information at my fingertips, but they're very proud of it. They kept it, mm-hmm. and it ended up in a historical museum, and they kept the name Niagara 6, and the thing is in beautiful condition and um uh we went to to see it and hope that someday maybe it could be um displayed here at the museum um because it still says niagara six on it it's got a lantern with um etched glass that says niagara six i hope you can get it here one day yeah yeah so do we yeah (laughs) (laughs) because it's really a beautiful piece right right um it's you know it was never repainted Wow. So it's really like in, you know, it's worn, obviously, because sure. it was used for 60 years or whatever, but it's in, you know, just beautiful condition. Well, so. I want to I want to thank you for doing this, and I want to thank the Albany Firefighters uh, Museum, again, here uh, at 384 Broadway. Uh, hopefully, the pan- we, you know, the pandemic is over soon, and we can all sort of start getting back to life, and mm-hmm. what you... Ha- Guys that started to get off the ground can really get off the ground. Yeah, we uh, hope so, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would <laughs> thank Tony uh, Apaka, who is the City of Albany historian, Bill Tobler, uh, who uh, is involved in the museum as well. The president of the, president, of the board. President, the president of the, of the board. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you to Anthony Opalka and Bill Tobler. 
Learn more about the Albany Firefighters Museum by following them on Facebook and Instagram. And thank you for listening to the History Tavern Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify, and follow on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook.